Drama Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me once again to discuss some of the Penguins' favorite things, you know, birds and umbrellas, it's Kimber. Hey, Kimber. Hey, hey, Scott. It's great to be, glad to be back. I'm glad to have you back. So, we are here tonight to get back to the Umbrella Academy Season 3, um, as some of you might recall, because who knows, we might have some new listeners. It happens. Rarely, but it happens. Uh, we left off after the first five episodes. Uh, we had pledged we would come back to record the second half of the season. We're, we're a day or two late, but, you know, things get really timey-wimey with shows like this. So, eh, you know, <laughs> we're, we're still doing it. We're, we're just a little bit later. Uh, that, my own, we my, are time traveling for sure. Yeah. My, own, my only conceivable problem that's going to happen for me doing this podcast is that within a very um, short amount of time, I had to compress watch and do notes and whatever on both, excuse me, on the boys, Stranger Things, and the Umbrella Academy. So I'm worried that certain, and, and, and it's weird that there, there's the occasional parallel that happens between any two of those three shows. So I'm worried that's going to, I'm going to make a mistake during one of these things. You know, I'm going to start talking about 11 while we're talking about the Umbrella Academy or something. It's like, wait, they're all numbers. Where's number 11? I don't understand. <laughs> I see five. Where's 11? Anyway. So. Without any further ado, and I don't know why anyone ever says that phrase, let's get the ball rolling with the sixth episode, which was titled Marigold, you know, like the flower. Now, that episode kicked off back in 2014, and we find out that Pogo was basically fired. But as he leaves, he gives Marcus, the the, fel- the, the sparrow who I guess got whacked in the... Was it the first episode of the season? It's been so long since we watched. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he gives Marcus a very fancy box of pills. Apparently, they're the pills that we see being given to Reggie later on. We go back to present day. Pogo, you know, he doesn't want, got no time to bother with some kid showing up at his little inner sanctum at the Mothers of Agony bar. So he burns rubber out of there with five in pursuit. First thing I want to say, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, when we talk about TV shows here, you and I, or anyone, but definitely you and I, you know, we're talking about story, we're talking about character and writing. I gotta give Umbrella Academy a lot of credit. I think they really do a nice job with the Pogo CGI on this show. He, I mean, they, they, I mean, again, they don't have, they don't necessarily have the, the, the budget of, of of the Planet of the Apes movies or a Peter Jackson movie or something like that, mm-hmm. but I'm ne- but I'm always feeling like he occupies the space that he's there. He, he always feels he has weight. The facial expressions, um, I think, are translate very well. Whoever the actor is, and I probably should have looked that up before doing this podcast, but I never remembered to do something like that. I know it's not Andy Circus. <laughs> But <laughs> <laughs> they have to get something. Everything is either Andy Circus or uh, Doug Jones. It's basically those two. Um, actually, Doug Jones usually uh, he's usually actually wearing the actual makeup. But anyway, I just wanted to point out that I think the CGI has done so well with that character; it makes him as believable or as intriguing as any character on the series to me. Because I, I I never really stopped to think about 
the special effect or, or how convincing it is. Like, say, I might think that way about, say, um, I'm going to forget the character's actual name, so I'm going to... I'm going to debase myself by using the common colloquialism like baby Yoda on the Mandalorian where, mm-hmm. yeah, love, love the character, but th- there's always that part of me is always going like, Oh, that's, that's okay. That effect could have been a little bit better with him walking around. always looks a little goofy. I never, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to point it out. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think he, he played such a major part in the first two um, seasons of it. Yeah. Um, it's a little. I mean, not to jump ahead okay. in the second half of the season here, but like I'm a little sad I didn't see more of him. Yes. Although he plays kind of. It's interesting. He shows up at the end of episode five, and he plays into this episode six. So he's at the pivot point in this season. Right. But I really missed him in this in this season, and I would agree with you. I mean, we've come so far that. When, when he's shown up in any of the seasons, I don't even blink at this point. Like, I just accept him as another character um, within the narrative of the show. Um, because the CGI is so good, even though, like you say, it might not be as good as a Disney production or a Planet of the Apes or something like that. But, but, I, like, feel, but I feel like it's right there. That, that's, yeah. So I, I, never, I, I never take the time to go, oh, it's not, I'm never actually thinking it's not as good as, say, right. Caesar. Is it I Caesar, just is it Caesar it, the, yeah. the, the main ape on, on the Planet of the Apes movies, I think? Um, yeah. I never really think, is. oh, is it better or worse than that? I mean, it right. might be a few ticks. Yeah. I don't know. It's it great. Might, uh, then again, you know, I think we also those of us who have been around a little while, we, we, we fall into maybe the trap of thinking, oh, back in the day, CGI was so incredibly expensive. You know, movies can only do a few minutes of it here. You know, you know, Jurassic Park only actually has 11 minutes of the CGI or th- that kind of thing over the years. I'm kind of thinking that over the course of 30-odd years, those costs have at least reduced to a certain point, and technology has improved to a certain point. So maybe that's why you can see the things that we've gotten on TV series, be it, either be a dragon on Game of Thrones or, or you know, a chimpanzee on uh, the Umbrella Academy. The other thing I always look for, and then I'll stop talking about this topic, is just it's been something that always will bother me and something that's not well done. And I, again, I never see it on Umbrella Academy. I'm always looking for when the character is dealing with uh, actual other live action actors. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for sight lines. I'm looking yeah. to, to see if I really believe, like I always say, does the CGI character uh, have any weight to it? Number one, and do I do I actually believe it's taking up the space where it is that that the people are actually m- making eye contact with the creature, or whatever? And I ne- again never ha- for a moment th- doubt. Do I ever uh, do I doubt it when I watch the show? Yeah. It's it's an impressive thing. Anyway. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, that's what I mean. Like I just accept him as a character on the right. show. Absolutely. So back to the hotel Ob- Obsidian. We have Lila and Diego. They find that, you know, I call it the the secret glowing murder tunnel (laughs) in the white buffalo. I believe she refers to it as a murder tunnel. And I just kept Mm -hmm. thinking, I love that phrase so much. (laughs) I mean, you know, give me like 15 years, you know, like, and Scott Candiotti's 18th screenplay, The Murder Tunnel, you know. Uh, It's the the name of my new punk rock band is Murder Tunnel. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna open up for my punk rock band, which is uh, you know, the, <laughs> what's the phrase from the original Bedazzle movie? Filled with inertia or something. Anyway, um, in the White Buffalo Suite, which leads to an abandoned alternate version 
of the Hotel Obsidian. Only this one is called the Hotel Oblivion. By the way, it's, it's we all love words. I love how close those two words actually are. Obsidian, Oblivion. <laughs> And one of the fun things when we, when we are first in the hotel oblivion is you start looking, you start even maybe might want to pause here and there. You start looking for all the little, uh, cosmetic differences in the decor and and how things are reversed with the pictures and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you, you, we've talked about this both privately and on the podcast. I know I've talked about it way too many times on the podcast. Alternate universe stuff always thrills me almost Mm -hmm. as much as time travel. But I gotta confess, I for me personally, because I maybe I watch, despite the fact I'm behind on so much TV, I still feel like I watch too much TV. It feels like I'm seeing the alternate universe thing happening more and more and more over the last several months. Every for me personally, it's from like the bizarre world they actually got into on the Superman and Lois to the whole MCU multiverse thing. Not to mention the DC multiverse to the shot, the show on I'm watching on Apple TV, shining girls, which is so good. And to the mirror verse on star Trek. And then you might say what's happening on for all mankind is like an alternate, you know, I don't know. It's just, I'm all for it because all, all the things I mentioned to varying degrees are fairly to very well done, but there, I, maybe I'm just getting a, I might get a little bit burned out on it. You know, it's, it's an interesting point because I mean, again, jumping to the end of this season and we'll get there. Um, does alternate universes. And again, this goes back to, you and I are both comic book fans. So alternate realities, alternate universes, like have always been something that have been leaned into, particularly in that comic book stuff. Universe is like, is like a way to easily transition into separate storylines. And so we accepted this for several decades in comic books and we're just seeing a lot of it now in these streaming shows. And so is it okay that we're accepting them in both as we did as kids, Scott, like in comic books? Um, I was never particularly bothered by them, although they needed to be tidied up in crisis on infinite earths and those kinds of things um, over time. Um, but I did get the feeling at the end of this season, like, oh, is this just another reboot? Are we in a third universe now? Are we in another timeline? Right. Um, but is 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 it a crutch, or is it a, or is it just like another part of the narrative? I think is a very legitimate thing to discuss. Right. Uh, it, that's a, that's a great question, actually. Um, I'm. Although I am inclined to call out things which I do believe are crutches from time to time, it's mm-hmm. I'm I'm a little apprehensive to do it in cases like this, only because one on one hand, what you're saying, and, and I'm almost likening it to how we were so used to it in the world of comic books, be it DC or Marvel, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. It was a way to uh, you know to tidy things up, to explain how you could have separate things, whatever. It was almost like a quick shorthand. That's not the case in my mind when it gets to these live action depictions, especially on whether it be and all these different continuing series. Once you introduce that idea, it's not simplifying things, 
it's in fact complicating things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you start at, at a certain point, depending how, like on a show like the Umbrella Academy, the one that we're talking about this evening, I mean, going into if and when there's a fourth season, because I don't believe they've officially said there's going to be a fourth season, although I think we all believe there will be, but mm-hmm. you know, we're going we're going to go on that assumption. But, you know, we all thought, the, I can think of other shows we thought we'd get another season on, on Netflix that we didn't, so you never know. Glow. Um, <laughs> mind hunter. Um, but <laughs> but it, it gets to a point, kind of like what you're saying, it reminds me of, you know, okay, I'm going to start needing my own little bulletin board where all the strings of yarn to connect things and make, make string art because I'm trying to follow all these different timelines. And, you know, if this means this and this means that and whatever, there, it's almost like you're creating this, uh, you're creating more problems than you're solving. Um, they get, maybe they can get away with that on a TV show because they figured, okay, no one's going to call us out because we're just going to make this all and then put it out there. And anyone who has a problem with it, <laughs> well, too bad. We don't care. You know, as opposed to like, say, a comic book where, you know, it's an ongoing thing, they would get letters, you know, during the course of it and that might make, make them freak out and change direction and so on and so forth. Something on Netflix, it's what's done is done, I think. Right. But I mean, it's, I mean, I don't want to get off on a tangent because this is not a, a, a movie podcast, but like, you know, even with the MCU, we, we've seen some of that in the cinematic and the TV universe of the MCU start to go down these like multiple threads of, you know, the kind of mirror of the comic books, right. which, like I said, we accepted for so many years, but it becomes, I don't know, in some ways, like more complicated when it becomes streaming or like a moving image i i found like it was easier to accept in some ways when it was like a printed comic book as it is now oh yeah of course it's like a moving narrative well it, it and also there's a big difference between reading it i mean i don't, I don't okay let, let me stop myself before i state the the overwhelmingly obvious <laughs> there's a big difference between reading a comic book please and do a movie Duh. yeah um but it's also in how you intake the information and how you, and how you can take your time with it and be like and mm-hmm. and you know go panel by panel and be able to follow it. Where obviously, although we have the pause button and we can rewind, you kind of don't want to have to do that necessarily mm-hmm. unless there's something really cool on the screen. So it's kind of when it just kind of starts kind of hitting you and you and you get into that, wait what okay wait I gotta and, you, and it, so. It becomes a more of a difficulty of following something, I think, for a lot of people. Um, and those mm-hmm. who kind of absorb it and get really into it, but they're also rewinding back and rewatching things and, you know, which is fine. You can do that. We've done it for shows for the last, especially over the last 15, 20 years. I mean, I mean, pro- pe- people probably were taping Lost and watching 18,000 times per episode just to figure things out, quite frankly. Also got mm-hmm. into timey wimey alternate. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, my my feeling is the problem is uh once you open that door you can't close it anymore and it's yeah. really hard to then restore things to any semblance of normalcy obviously we're talking about certain shows that don't never had a sense of normalcy to begin with like the umbrella academy or the MCU but mm-hmm. you know i think for a lot of these things an issue i would have with shows and i always when you have to work really hard to explain it, either it be within the confines of a show, or if I or if I have to explain it to someone else, or vice versa, 
then mm-hmm. someone, someone, someone dropped the ball somewhere in the storytelling when it requires that much explanation, exposition right. outside of what I'm even seeing on the TV screen or, or viewing screen, whatever. And I'm working really hard to explain something. And I'm not talking about a theory where, you know, you're speculating about things that might happen when you're just trying to explain what has happened in a way that isn't, that isn't like a mystery that the, that the show cares about trying to explain. It's like, okay, this is because of this and this and this and this and this. And it's like, okay, whatever, you know, you have to accept that some things just don't have explanations. Maybe I guess, um, like, like on right. the shining girl show. I just watched an episode. I was like, Oh, so it's, so it's a, it's a magic timey, limey house. Anyway. All right. Let's get back to see. See, this is going to possibly be a short. Day. I know my fault. No, no, it wasn't. All right, we'll so at Sparrow Academy, Ben asks Luther to join the Sparrows. But before that, I do want to mention I really like that little bit of humor that was injected, I would say even kind of unexpectedly, by Faye um, when she knocks on Sloane's door. You know, when she's making the comments about the, the squeaky bed and the phew, <laughs> referring <laughs> to the fact that uh, those two were going at it yeah. <laughs> the night before. So I was like, oh, Faye, nice. I didn't think you had a sense of humor. Yeah. But in this moment when Ben, you know, Ben asking Luther to join, clearly it even takes Faye by surprise. So at this, I mean, so at this point in the episode in the series, you know, you're wondering, okay, what exactly is the idea guy planning here? I'm going to say that even as we get, since, since we're jumping head over and over, uh, which is fine because we've all watched it. Um, I don't know if whatever plan he had by doing that really ever came to really made much sense as we as we go through, other than the fact that people just working together to deal with the thing. But because that never felt like that was Ben's motivation, that was Faye's mm-hmm. motivation. It was mm-hmm. it was kind of funny how we thought Faye was like this really horrific person, and then it turned out Ben's kind of worse. Although there is a scene that happens later on where we realize, oh no, no, Faye's still kind of bad. <laughs> But, yeah, but Ben's words. Yeah. So, so okay. Back to oh Pogo because we talked about how much we like Pogo. Um, wasn't Pogo the name of a character in Doctor Doolittle? Anyway, uh, at Pogo's trailer because I've noticed. Speaking of alternate universes, you know what? Everybody lives in a trailer on every show I watch. <laughs> every show's like, oh look, lives in a trailer. Oh, look, lives in a trailer. I even put it on hacks. Well, you know, that's technically a trailer. They're living in a trailer now. Anyway, Pogo tells Five that the tattoo symbols are actually related to this Project Oblivion, which is something that Reginald was obsessed with. And of course, as we're watching, we're going, hey, wait, Oblivion. We heard, we just heard Oblivion before. Oh wait, this alternate universe. Could that be the other side that they were talking about? Is this the place where Project Oblivion mission would have happened? The place where Poco thought the sparrows weren't ready to attack? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's all it is. <laughs> we know that because we watched the whole damn thing. Back at the Hotel Oblivion, Lila fesses up that Stan is not their kid, that she's actually just babysitting. Um, trying to imagine <laughs> who's allowing that to happen. Of course, when we actually see the little flashback, I'm like, okay. She actually, apparently, we'll get there, but she actually managed to meet someone who's even flightier than she is, which is <laughs> hard to believe. And I think we've both known our share of flighty people over the years, you know, considering where we worked. Anyway, Harlan and Victor, well, they, how do you put it? They, they find the right frequency, Kenneth. That's an old reference for you. Mm-hmm. And along with this big cosmic light show, not only does Victor manage to absorb his powers back from Harlan, Apparently, 
But apparently something happens to Allison as well as she tries to intercede. And suddenly it, it looks like she might be able to control people while having to go through the whole I heard a rumor shtick. You know, mm-hmm. which I always think, you know, I always, and my first thought was like, oh, that's good. Because I'm always worried for her because I keep thinking she's going to make any number of grammatical mistakes whenever <laughs> she makes certain commands. Not <laughs> to begin with, I heard her. <laughs> anyway, unbeknownst to everyone. Although it seems everything everybody does is unbeknownst to everybody else. Klaus goes to see his not-the-right-timeline dad, Reggie. He's trying to figure out why this version of Reggie basically... Uh, um, his version, excuse me, his version of Reggie basically killed him in the mausoleum when he was a kid. So Reggie decides to help him by electrocuting him. Because that's who <laughs> Reggie is. In fact, mm-hmm. I would say the only surprise about Reggie in this timeline is how big a fan he is of TJ Hooker. <laughs> Which, by the way, made me very happy. I just want to... So, I want, I want to step outside for a moment. I, I want to say I really am enjoying... I think one of my favorite things about this season... I'm really enjoying how Klaus is making such a concerted effort to actually learn about himself, what his purpose is, and so on. I keep thinking how much different this class is than the class that we were introduced to back in season one. And if the, if there's any character who I think who has gotten, who has I think evolved from season to season, it might I might actually be Klaus more than anybody else. Yeah, we get a lot of Klaus in this season, right? I mean, we've seen the road trip with him in five. We see him, uh, you know, and in that road trip, going to find his mother. He's the one that first kind of uncovers the whole like mother mystery mm-hmm. of like uh, of the entire Umbrella Academy. So he becomes important, I think, in some ways in the season that he hadn't been before. Um, he, you know, we'll get to other episodes in the second half of the season here. But there are extended periods of his and Reginald's relationship, his and other members' relationships. And so I think he really rises above. And I I, I don't know whether that's just an acknowledgement from a narrative standpoint or whether the writers have also understood that he's kind of a fan favorite, I think. And so like, yeah. Oh, let's just write more. Let's just get him in more episodes, doing more interesting things. It could be a little bit of both, which I'm fine with too. Like, I'm not cynical about that. Like, I think it's a totally legitimate thing. Well, it's interesting. Once we got past season one, cause season one, up until you get to his last couple episodes, one might've said, uh, the character Vanya was the one that we would have related to the yes. most out of them. But once we get past everything that happens with her at that point in time, and we move into season two, Klaus, I think becomes the most relatable character for us in a lot of ways. I mean, Diego could have been, but he never quite is, you know, he still, he still has that, you know, want to be Batman quality to him and all the other crap. Um, but I, I, and you realize it because when you're watching this season, he's the character for for me that I was the mo- when even though it was that might have been digressing or just moving entirely away from whatever the main storyline focus was for for the show overall, I was still found his stuff the most interesting. The the, mm-hmm. the, the mystery of it, I like. I was more interested in solving that than almost anything else. The only other character I'm usually that interested in following at all is usually five, but that's because that's usually direct, most directly related to what's going on. 
You know, because right. if if there's going to be a solution or something at hand, five is most likely going to be the one at the center of it. But Klaus just became the one of like like all the stuff with him with the afterlife and everything. Fascinating, and and because he's also becomes the kind of one I like end up rooting for because it's like yeah, I, I want him to have you know a bit a greater abilities and also be aware of them and and want to be that person and yet still retain more humanity than than the others do. Although Luther's pretty human too, I shouldn't you know even for ape guy, uh, although former ape guy now. Anyway, so. He's the one, again, I keep saying, skipping ahead. He's the one that gets that really great, and I think that it's handled very well, but that like sort of like training and developing your skills and powers sort of sequence that you see in Uh, other superhero movies Uh, or other kinds of... Yeah, you know, like I don't think we've seen that in any of the other characters in the show in any of the other seasons, at least that I recall. But you get this real, like, full. How did you discover your powers? How were those powers then developed and enhanced over time? Um, which I think is always, I mean, for me, again, as like a comic book and like narrative, uh, you know, you know. St- person with a narrative story interest like i always love that like kind of training sequence kind of thing it's like the rocky sequence you know like getting stronger right uh, the way i would look at it is unlike the only other character the closest we came to this well what i'm about to say might have been with the, with who was originally the vanya character in season one no victor obviously mm-hmm. but with klaus here i look at it as like you know what? It's like an origin delayed story. Yes, because he's discovering these things about himself, which which are which have to do with his actual abilities as well as his past and the fact that he can mm-hmm. do so much more than what we saw before. Because quite frankly, especially when you go through the earlier seasons, um, your your power is that you can talk to your dead teammate, and no one seemed to even even either be aware of it or believe you yeah. until he actually pops up. All right, so. Back at the Hotel Oblivion, some mostly unseen creature carrying, which looked like a scythe or a sword, I'm not sure, um, although I guess we figured out by the later episode, um, comes after Lila and Diego, even chopping off two of Diego's fingers in the process. So I kept thinking, that's going to be a problem tossing knives. I couldn't be sure if it was his left foot right but he, <laughs> he strikes me as someone who probably, because th- that's actually his, his, his magical power, so I guess he can throw it both hands, so I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> um, they make it back to their side of the White Buffalo Suite, just in time to see Stan return from getting a slushy and a Slim Jim. As you should recall, I forgot at this point, the whole point of why they went to the murder tunnel is because they were looking for the kid. They were looking for Stan. And guess what? R- right there. The kid is immediately eradicated by uh, one of those Kugelblitz waves. <laughs> so I think my thought at this early stage, you know, there was a note I wrote while I was watching this episode, was by showing them kill this kid, that was what made me think at this point, not knowing how the rest of the season would unfold, I thought, oh, I feel like you're telling me that all the deaths by Kugelblitz waves can now be reversed because you just killed a kid. I didn't realize then we were going to get to a later episode where it's like, oh, you've pretty much eliminated the entire planet, 
And, you know, you know you're, you're basically left with a building on a you know a floating cliffside or something. But that was my thinking at that point in time. I was like, oh, okay, they're going to be able to undo all this. Um, but other other than that, also finally, without realizing that Victor hadn't told his family as of yet, Harlan confesses to being responsible for the death of the Umbrella Moms, which kind of sets off Allison. Now, if people can remember when we did our Umbrella Academy podcast, what was it, a week ago, eight years ago, whatever it was, um, I predicted that she was going to do that at the end of the last episode. I thought that was gonna, we were going to kick right off at her doing that. So, no, they, they got delayed to the end of this one. But it's mm-hmm. worse. It, it actually turns out to be worse than what I thought she was going to do. She doesn't just, yes, she delivers Harlan to the Sparrows, his dead body, <laughs> which is like, oh, Okay, wow, that's that's something, and it's at that end she sees Luther is wearing the fucking sparrows uniform, and with her right. entering the house, you're like, okay, wait, does that mean that she's going to join too? So based on that in particular, and that really interesting darkness shot they do at her earlier in the episode, where it's kind of like she's almost like fading into the darkness or something. Um, at this point in time, I was going, oh yeah. I kept telling you, Allison, villain, total villain. There it is. <laughs> anyway, that's that episode. Good episode. Yeah, I mean, I. We'll get to more Allison. Oh, yeah. It's probably the more confounding part for me of the second half of this season mm-hmm. is her turn. Even though we talked about in the first five episodes. She's the one who perhaps you could argue has lost the most. She's lost in two timelines. She's lost a daughter, two partners, you know, lost a career. Like she's had a lot of loss in some ways, but like even when we get to her turn, I just, I, I don't know. Like I, I have difficulty with her character in these second, second five episodes of this season. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That'll be fun, because I believe we're going to disagree on that one. So we'll okay. look forward to You're treating her like she might be like she's, uh, what's her face, Daenerys, whatever the fuck her name was in last season of Game of Thrones. I'm like, nope. Anyway, the seventh episode <laughs> <laughs> is Afira Zane, and we essentially pick up at some point shortly after the end of season two with that episode. We're mm-hmm. at the commission where we get to see, albeit briefly, but I was very excited to see Herb and Dot. Especially her, but I don't really care that much about that. No offense to that. Yay! Uh, more importantly, we see Lila's hold up at the infinite switchboard. There's a slew of dead bodies in her wake. She's watching mm-hmm. and rewatching a recording of her, I guess we we call her her mother? Her mm-hmm. adopted mother, stepmother? The handler, whatever. Betraying mm-hmm. her. Blah, blah, blah. Lila needs to go. She's persona non grata there because you know evil mom so as far as where they can drop her off she picks west berlin in 1989 which of course you know anyone who's aware of history who which means people our age um (laughs) that's the fall of the berlin wall which apparently is where you know where said handler and i don't mean chelsea apparently hid one of those tiny whiny briefcases i guess it was actually within the Mm -hmm. section of wall but she also meets this cool chick there named Trudy, although Trudy's not really that cool name. But she joins a punk band, and I was wondering mm-hmm. if her abilities are what may, uh, led to her being able to play drums so well. I don't know. 
But apparently Trudy pawns her off for her son, uh, Stan, on her for a week, and that's when she colludes with the kid to pull, off, pull a fast one on Diego. So, do you think in her powers, you think that's why she's able to play drums so well, or do you think she just happens to be, she just happens to know how to play drums? I think it's her powers. I think it's her powers. She can pick up anybody else's, like, abilities. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm willing to accept that as a flow through. I'm thinking, yeah. at what point when you were being raised... <laughs> By that woman in the commission, are you playing? You're learning yeah, to play she didn't drums. have time at the commission to like take drumming lessons. So I'll tell you something. There's a lot of great dramatic scenes and conversations that are sprinkled throughout this episode. I'm gonna, uh, I, I'm gonna, even though we, we just spent some time talking about them, we're going to talk about them some more. I like to sidestep a lot of the other players and just concentrate on one. That's Klaus again. Because of it, because it's here where we get some fun stuff with him, and you already kind mm-hmm. of brought it up. Uh, the adventures where he's not really dead due to the timeline, but it's the closest thing he has to a dad right now. Mm-hmm. So at this point when, in this episode, Klaus, I think they say Klaus has been dead for about 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I guess they, they, and they gave us the news of the world in the same amount of time. Anyway, the New York <laughs> news radio. <laughs> you give us 22 minutes, you give us, yeah, anyway. Give us the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. so four listeners will appreciate that. Although. <laughs> People in Japan, they won't get it. Although, based on where he was electrocuted, which was at the Sparrow Academy, which I think the Sparrow Academy is supposed to be like Midtown or maybe Uptown Manhattan. I'm not really clear where. Now they're on this stretch of road, which is all rural and a bit like, there's no way you can get anywhere within 22 minutes of Manhattan that looks mm-hmm. like that. Right. But... Um, this this is the scene that you were talking about. The the I guess you I guess this is Klaus's version of a training session. Mm-hmm. I just love that it's it's ridiculous. You know, mm-hmm. the whole hit and run. The fact that they're using cats in the cradle mm-hmm. <laughs> as the background song. That's no eye of the tiger, let's put it that way. But then we move from that to the whole confronting his fears thing about ghosts. I either didn't realize or I didn't remember he was actually haunted by actual freaking ghosts. <laughs> yeah. And here, he's not just being haunted, he's being hunted. <laughs> you know? Right. So, uh, with Reggie giving a surprisingly solid pep talk, I-, I love how Reggie has these moments throughout the season make you go, oh, this is a good Reggie. <laughs> little did we know. Um, he even shows a little regret for the things that, you know, this version didn't even do. Klaus blasts him away. He's like a super-powered exorcist. So as we mm-hmm. see, you know, with all this training that you were talking about, his abilities are starting to take more shape. He's becoming more impressive as we go along. And I love the phrase that uh, I think Reggie drops, you know, be everything I was afraid to let you become. I really like that. Mm-hmm. But I also, I was not buying Reggie's sincerity to a certain extent. I kept thinking, yeah, you're grooming him to be like a weapon or something, you know. I didn't know it would be just uh, to help convince the others, essentially. It was all he was using him for. Yeah, I mean, I've... Look, since the first episode of the first season, I've been suspicious of Reginald, right? Right. I think a, a interesting world traveler, multi-whatever heir, who's running around the world writing checks to effectively, like, steal-slash-adopt other strange women's, like, magical children problematic from the jump in the first 10 minutes of the first episode what 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 i liked about this sequence and in the second half of of 
this season, Reginald's interaction with Klaus was the intimacy of him interacting just with one of the one of the kids, and he's clearly developing this one kid's set of skills. You don't really, I would say, in the first season. I think you see his interaction with um, uh, w- with with Victor, kind of one on one. Although it's it's much more punitive because he's like drugging her and so on in that first season. But I think this connection that he has with Klaus in this season is a really great piece of storytelling and it shows he doesn't really care for him, but he cares for the development of the skills that he has. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I, I, I made a conscious choice because I, I figured the character was still Vanya in season one. So that's why I would refer to her as Vanya in season. Yeah. One. I just blanked on what the no, no, that's fine. No, I, 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 I didn't want to think one. I was, I didn't want, no, to, I I want to inadvertently think I was being deliberately nope. kind of, uh, I'm I was being an asshole about it. Totally okay. She, she was Vanya in season one, and, and she's transitioned to do a different to name. Yeah. yeah. And a different identity. So, exactly. yeah, she watched that. So, back to this episode. We can flip back to just a few of the more powerful scenes. I think some are longer and bigger than others. They all involve Allison. First, mm-hmm. we have the scene between Allison and Luther. And I, you know, and you, and you see how she doesn't shy away from the awkwardness of it. She doesn't really show any regret for what had happened between mm-hmm. the two of them. It's just, and it, it, it's just like, okay, we're just, con- we're just going to consistently build, you know, her antipathy or, 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 or anger that, that seems to be growing from episode to episode. The bigger one is, you know, after the two families are actually brought together, you know, they're there in order to work out a plan to defeat the, the big Google Blitz in the basement. It's the Allison Victor scene, uh, and, mm-hmm. and in the middle of it, with everyone watching, um, where with the reveal that Victor has actually been lying to everyone, as well as hey, look, Allison can make people do stuff without actually saying I heard a rumor, you know, like mm-hmm. almost killing Victor here, which she doesn't seem to get that much shit for, which kind of weird, but it's like it was one of those cringy, awkward, but really nicely powerful scenes, and like I think I, the, sh- the fact the show can actually pull these scenes off, and it, and it's still convi- r- relatively convincing. Relatively. Cause I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, can, I can see one having a caveat. I, I, can, I can actually foresee it with you, actually. Um, but, the th- but when it comes down to the fact that she totally blames Victor for this whole situation, that's the part that I, that I latch onto, like, yeah, I, I could see, I, I see why she's going down that road and why why she would hold Victor responsible. It, it, it's just I, I, I know to me, although obviously we've seen the entire season, it didn't quite go that way. Although it mm-hmm. really felt that way a lot of the time. The seeds of of how characters are turned from good to bad were sown throughout the season. Because I've seen that in not just TV shows, I've seen it in comic books as well, and you've seen, or even professional wrestling. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of thing where you go from hero to heel or whatever. Um, but here, it's you know, it's the it's that built up anger and 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 everything. I know you're. I know you have issues. With, well, we can get into. I think we'll probably get into it more yeah. towards the, the later in the podcast, especially when we get to the last episode. But here, someone had. Someone had to, to blow up at her. 
especially when they, especially, especially when they all find out that she's been lying, whatever. And yeah. because Victor tends to have, always has a very narrow focus about things. Yes. And she doesn't really see, uh, he doesn't really see beyond that sometimes, um, such as here. Well, it's probably because, I mean, again, when we go back to the, the first season, Victor was an outcast and was, uh, when he was Vanya, wasn't accepted by the rest of the family, didn't have any acknowledged powers. And then in the second season, um, it's an interesting narrative, like, especially when you think about somebody who acknowledges a, 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 I'm just going to apologize in advance if I don't have the right language for it, but acknowledges a a development of an identity that is not maybe immediately identifiable to other people. And so when you go all the way back to the first episode, the character is not acknowledged by their siblings and is uh, marginalized by the father through drugs and so on second season the character is um loses their memory and so only through sort of like a relationship with uh, the woman and the family she, they come to an understanding of who they are in this one they've fully developed who they are so they've gone from a nobody to a self-acknowledged um full character maybe with a real identity for the first time in their life over the three seasons. So I think that's an interesting narrative. Again, going back to season one, whether that was intentional, particularly given the actress, uh, the, I'm sorry, the actors sort of personal life changes over time. Um, I don't know whether that was intentional, but I think it's been interestingly handled in the narrative of the show. Right. I, I, I'm very impressed with how they handle that because I do not um, – that would not have been the – what the plan would have been had that not happened in that performer's life. Um, right, right. Uh, but it actually, in, in its own uh, fascinating way, it helped the show. I, mm-hmm. I, I think it, it, it just it, mm-hmm. it made the character that much more interesting and be, mm-hmm. because of the travails that um, Vanya slash Victor – uh, has gone through and to get to where he is now. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I was I, my, one of my biggest curiosities going into the season was how they were handling the situation, because I know that to whatever extent this, a lot of these storylines are lifted from the comics from several, right. several, several, many, many years ago. At this point, um, and I was like, I'm pretty damn sure that didn't happen, but I know that's what they're supposed to be doing, and I was like, okay. It works. It works really well, in fact. So kudos Mm -hmm. to everyone involved, including, of course, Elliot Page. So that being said, Allison, I have gone the other way on. I found her to be sympathetic in the early, in the the first season, having lost her daughter and her husband through her use of her powers which was exercised in a way that was maybe not ethically correct and then really loved her i think she was in many ways 
one of the best characters developed in the second season. Yep. Um, and this season, I've just, I, I've just been like, ah, oh, God, I just, I don't, I don't like her. I, I don't, I don't sympathize with her. I don't get the anger. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I've just, I've gone totally the other way with her. Um, in season three, and I know I keep bringing this up, but in season three, I'm just not an Allison fan. Yeah, um, I'm just gonna say I don't think you're really supposed to be. So, yeah, I mean, you you might be taken to a slightly different negative place than others would be, but but when I'm looking at it, using my mantra that I've been was doing throughout the first podcast, where like. They're turning, however you want to phrase it, and how it, and, and especially when you see how the entire thing is resolved by the end of the season, I kept saying they're, they're kind of sort of turning her into a villain. They're turning her into a villain. Sure. Keep doing that. Most of the time, when you're turning a character into a villain, you also tend to, you know, the audience sympathies or whatever turns against that character. Yeah. You end up not liking the character. Look, yeah. I hate to, well, I hate to use him as an example get- in every podcast, but he's he's the go-to example pretty much for every podcast. Think about how people how people grew to hate Walter White by the fifth season. How many people I know personally is like, I, oh, I, I can't stand him. Oh, I can't stand him. Oh, I want him to do whatever. And I was like, right. It's interesting how we would. I was like, did you feel that way from from the get go? It's like, no. It's like, right, exactly. That was that was the point. That's what they're doing. Now, obviously, this is something that's taking place over the course of just one season, as opposed to over the course of yeah. five seasons. But I, I'm sure. why I'm accepting of it more that so than you is because she's being hit with these things. Bam, bam. Bam! In a short, um, we forget because we've been watching the show for you know X number of years now with COVID and everything else kind of stretching it out. But in their experiences, this is you know like 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 the, the only difference for her is like season two. She was there for an extended period of time. She was there for a few years, right? Which also therefore well, makes that loss greater for her, which no one else experienced. And uh, now she comes back and she loses this, and when she loses this, yeah. she. She's right when she's like, no one's experiencing. Oh, yeah. oh, Luther, you had to stay on the moon for a few years. Oh, boo hoo, you know, <laughs> you know, and stuff right. like that. Well, and they give her a nice redemption arc and a happy ending at the end of this well, we'll get season. Yeah, we'll get there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that is it a little bit of a groan for me, but like, it, ugh, but you know, is it? That's the question. Is it, is it a yeah. happy ending? Is it because there's something more? Well, yeah, I'll get there. Uh, we also get that nice little Allison and Lila scene where we see as Daffy as Lila can be, she also could be damn perceptive. Because I like that she's basically advising Allison that she needs to find an anchor, a tether to hold mm-hmm. on to in the midst of all these timeline changes, you know, because it is indeed all real. And I love the fact that in the podcast I did yesterday, last night, when I was talking about Homelander, uh, without even realizing it, I was talking about his need for a, an anchor or a tether or something. So I realized, mm-hmm. geez, I, I wrote the same note twice. All right, so... Uh, well, I also wonder whether that's some of, like, Lila's being raised in the commission, mm-hmm. and that they were so concerned with, like, the timeline and so on. Like, maybe she has some inside sort of skill or information about, like, how to manage this, like, timeline stuff. And so that's her speaking from her... Just experience growing up being raised by somebody that works for the commission. Right, 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 yeah. right. 
So from, from from this point on, let's see where were we. Oh, the speaking of you know like amateur psychology here, um, dickhead, <laughs> d- 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 dickhead Ben kind of pulls some reverse psychology crap on Victor when he finds her in his room, uh, which I guess now is Victor's room at the Umbrella Academy or something. Um, note the drawings in that room with the name Jennifer on them. Oh God. Because they kept making references to something called the Jennifer incident. And they never give us any additional context beyond the fact that we know that somehow it's connected to the death of, of their version of Ben. So I like that that's dropped in there and they never, they never, they don't literally reference it again, but it's like, okay, they're, but, now I don't know if that means that's something they've planned there for season four, but considering everything got changed at the end, I don't know. I don't know. The Jennifer thing has come up in all three seasons. Yep. She's been referenced. Nobody knows who she is. Was she a sibling? Was she like, like there's, yeah, it's interesting. Like she keeps being referenced and held out there as something as like maybe some potential big reveal at some point. Every time a new, well, I feel like every time a new season of the umbrella Academy debuts, I, I go right to look look at the list of episodes. <laughs> yeah. One of them is going to be titled IMTV. Jennifer. Incident. One of them is going to say it. And we're like, Oh, that's the one cast is Jennifer. Put the circle there. <laughs> so as, as this episode goes on, we, we is where, you know, all the big rock'em sock'em stuff happens. Cause the family's joined forces. You got Lila Sloan, Chris, the cube and Victor work in concert with one another to trap that Kugelblitz and that floating cosmic cube. That's when that <laughs> Grace shows up with that whole half-vengeance, Bible-thumping mantra spewing oddness. If you want something that isn't really fully explained, it's why is Grace acting like this, has been acting like this from, from, from the get-go. That I was never, I've never was clear on what clicked inside her robot brain to not only become obsessed with this uh, floating ball of energy, but tapped into some sort of bizarro religiosity about her. That's the thing. And if I missed it, I might, or I may just not remember it, you know, whatever. But my mouth kept going, oh, that's kind of strange that she's acting like that. Yeah, and again, I'll just say, like, uh, like Pogo, like Grace and Pogo were like characters with some significant heft in the first two seasons and almost kind of, like, disappear yep. in the third season, which I found... To be kind of weird. I mean, I'm fine with it because I like, I, I I love this season better than the second season. Huh. Um, so I I will, wow. I'm willing to let that go. But those were two characters. I've never really liked Grace anyway. I like Pogu a lot. Um, but anyway, yeah. Oh, interesting. She was kind of like thrown away, like he was in the third season. Right. Right. Well, again, it's it's based on. I could say the writers threw them away because so they don't get you they don't they're not utilized as well or as much as we like and that's absolutely true. Um, it's just and, you know obviously story wise it's the nature of it being a different timeline and, and what uh, sure. role they would play. So I get sure. it. You know I'm fine with it. She attacks them, everyone with a flamethrower because you got to have a flamethrower. <laughs> uh, I believe that the multiple shows I watched in the last few days. Hey, there's someone. Oh, Hopper's got a flamethrower. He's got a flamethrower. Oh, it's like it's like on the aliens where they have a flamethrower or on the thing where they have a flamethrower. Everyone can find flamethrowers everywhere. <laughs> um, but other, I love that she has that flamethrower. <laughs> But other than that little bit on like Diego's sleeve for for like a half a second, she's got the aim of like an imperial stormtrooper. Apparently, 
Anyway. How do you mess with a flamethrower? I, I don't know. It's, it, 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 it's a big flame. But five bamps are out of there, and I guess I guess we say he kills her, if that's what we call it. I don't know. Yeah. It gave us a nice creepy moment. I love creepy moments on shows like this. We were like, oh, that kind of gave me a little bit of a start. When she in, when she's doing the little onward Christian soldiers bit with her voice. It's kind of it's almost like a Hal doing Daisy Daisy. <laughs> hmm Right. I love that you just said bamp. Yes, I thought you he bamps that. out of there. Yep. I always say that nice. about him because Com- that's comic that's book a- reference. Thank oh, you very yeah, much. I thought you like that. Um, <laughs> There's the four people that get that out there. So. You know what? X Men is popular. It'd be more than four. Yeah. Like six. So <laughs> it looks like they're successful. They contain the Kugelbus and Christopher, and the next. And I love that the next Mega Kugel Shockwave is reduced to a mini fart. So <laughs> the, the fart humor. I kept thinking, uh, all right, you know Doom Patrol, but but you've been doing fart humor on the show all along too, so I'll, so I'll accept it. Champagne for everybody. Another one bites the dust. Plays. It's, it's at this point we realize just how bad a shape the entire city or the world was. You know, when mm-hmm. we see Luther and Sloan up on the rooftop, and that one was like, wait, dude is proposing to Sloan, and he's known her for like two days. Uh, yeah, but okay, that's fine. You know, he's you know he's he's gosh. You know what? She's got amazing abs as well as other things. So because I can't say other things on the podcast, but you know, Thank well, you I mean, much. technically I can because you know, don't give a fuck. But we we but we bounce from that proposal to another form of proposal when Lila drops a truth bomb. She actually is pregnant, and that whole stand thing was just a test to see if Diego was really father material and if she could really have a family with Diego. By the way, Diego is surprisingly fine having lost two fingers. I couldn't function. Yeah. I would not be able to function. First of all, I never see him being given any pain medication. That shit hurts. He just kind of wraps it up in is that his power? A, a piece of cloth and that's yeah, it. That's right. But at least these two have more of a foundation for their relationship than, you know, the ape moon boy and hover chick, whatever. Yeah, I, I think, like, Luther is – Luther's always, like, struck me as kind of, like uh, – Childlike. Like, st- stunted. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's still – like, in that first season when he's back in his, like, childhood room and his, his rockets and his toys and he's dancing and so on, he's always seemed like a child because he was kind of off – and and he was never really like a leader. Like even when he was like st- still number one. Like I, I don't think like other people really took him like so seriously. So mm-hmm. like it, it seems like oh yeah, for, first girl and like what in the first uh, that that scene when he goes to the uh, the newsstand and he's like I'm a guy that has sex now. So I need to buy the like he's like a child, yeah. you know. He absolutely. really is a child, and oh, so he's, he's, I'm not surprised by the way he's acting for it's, sure. Eh, it's sweet. I'll, I'll get home. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, of, it's fine. I'll kind of break. It's not like he's getting fried by a dragon or something. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, so five and Victor, and what I think is one of the most interesting moments in the entire episode. Five and Victor have a little heart to heart. Well, sort of, um, kind of. Assures a grieving Victor that saving Harlan could never make up for all the losses that they have incurred. Mm-hmm. And he even points out, which Victor was not aware of, how he once murdered an entire boardroom of people. And I actually remember, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot five of the fucking badass. But 
I love the fact that when he says, do you know what they call a superhero who works alone and doesn't listen to anybody? I want the director to say, Batman? <laughs> but no, the answer is a villain. And then he, he leaves her like, I'll kill you myself. And I was like, that's right. You know, it's, it's the unique thing about what he can do. He might be one of the few people who could actually can, can, can levy a threat like that. He might not have this cosmic world-changing power, but it, he can... I'll use it. I'll say it again just to make you happy. He can bam right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so, while that's going on, that's where we see the Sparrows Faye, uh, I guess, Christopher the Cube or whatever. They're still plotting against the Umbrellas, but Ben isn't. I mean, I think he's cooking up something with Reginald, which irritates Faye, and I guess Christopher... I, whatever. It doesn't really matter. She tings her glass against the cube surface in solidarity with, with Christopher. It strikes a tone. Much like the scene. It's a tone resonant enough to cause a massive Kugel explosion, which clearly kills her. I guess Christopher, mm-hmm. too. And the Kugelblitz grows to ridiculous proportions, and they all barely escape, including Ben, who's actually helped out by five, and that's the end of that episode. Yep. Good shit. Yep. The eighth episode is the wedding at the end of the world. And that's where we get some... Uh, we, I like when we get the back history on uh, Sir Reggie whenever they uh, they do that with us. They, I think they, and I know they did that in season one, obviously. I, did they do that in season two? I don't remember if they Yes, they did. I think they did have a, a sequence of him. Yeah. Uh, the, especially when they got to the 60s. But here we are in 1918, and we see Sir Reginald Hargreaves making his way through a field, making some experiment and calculation... Blah, blah, blah. The whole point is that he's, it's about building what will one day be the Hotel Obsidian. And as he tells us later on, because that was where there would be this portal to the other universe, whatever. This entire sequence is done in a very Wes Anderson meets Barry Sonnenfeld kind of vibe kind of way, which is one of the things I initially always really liked about the Umbrella Academy to the point where I always go, Part of me thinks it should always be like that, but I know they can't. That would probably just be too trying for the actors. Although then I think, but wait a minute, there's a couple other shows I watch which do pull that off in every single episode. Uh, that, that Neil Patrick Harris one I really like that's on Netflix. Um, the one with the the Lemony Snicket thing. They do that the entire thing. Anyway, I don't know that one. Yeah. Oh, it's really good. I highly, highly recommend. It. Well, it's like you. It's like you were saying before when you were. I think we were talking about the previous episode. Like, oh, where is this place? Is it in Midtown? It's like there's a placeness, placeness less of 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 this show. Like even in this season, and I have to go back and like watch a previous season. The steering wheels are on the right side. Yeah, I noticed that. That was really weird. And I haven't gone back and looked at the first or the second season to see whether the steering wheels were on that side or on the left side. Huh. But, like, it's... And clearly, when Klaus goes to, like, find his mom and they go to, like, you know, Amish country, maybe that's Pennsylvania. So you would think that's maybe from Manhattan because it's close by, but who knows? So it's it's interesting... Like you said, in this like Wes Anderson like place, like it's timeless. It's like even when in that flashback to Reginald, I think they flash a time. Nineteen eighteen. Nineteen eighteen. So nineteen eighteen. They're born in eighty nine. Is when he goes and adopts them. Mm-hmm. So that would mean, and he's so eighty nine to nineteen. That's already eighty years past and he's at least 20 years old so how old is he 
by the time they're like in their twenties in this. Well, is he like hundred and twenty years old? Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're kind of kind of kind of burying the lead, which you, you one might forget yeah. until you want. If if you don't, if you didn't remember certain things that were revealed in previous seasons. Oh, I know that. Yeah, the nineteen eighteen yeah. thing is like is like the first like is the first thing that happens. Like, oh yeah, are they going to get to that? And they 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 absolutely do in a really sure. cool way. Um. Yeah. So in in this part, the whole thing, um, and it starts off in 1918. I think we fast forward a little bit to 1928, where the where the the hotel is built, and apparently he's hired the several soldiers, mercenaries, whatever you want to call them. And he's yeah. gonna have them head through the glowing murder tunnel and kill them all. <laughs> and of course, it's all the soldiers who get killed instead. So here we go. Here's where I want to digress. Here now. One can simply say he built the hotel so he could access a way to get to the other side. I totally buy that. Mm-hmm. That's what he was doing. But it raises some interesting science fiction wonky questions for me. Now, number one, they build this hotel Obsidian. Is it patterned after the hotel Oblivion? You know, because since he was aware of this other area, or did his creation of the hotel in this dimension or universe, whatever, did that mean that? a bizarro universe version of it would be created on the other side at the same time. You know, I'm just, I'm kind of like wondering about it. I don't, obviously we've, we've finished the entire season. It's technically not really important to the story at all, but it's the kind of thing that I wonder about because <laughs> I kept thinking about that. Anyway. Well, I think it gets revealed in the last episode too, that they, they kind of coexist. He probably has some, knowledge of the coexistence of the parallel universes even though he's not i, I yeah i don't know there's a i agree there's a lot of questions right I, i'm i i feel i'm gonna go with the idea that as he built something here something along the same lines was happening Rose, on the other side because that would go in line with any other most other parallel universe situations i've seen where there is to whatever extent a certain mirror version of both. Oh, Counterpart, right. another one. Counterpart's another one. Very good, a very good show. Anyway, should have gotten a third season. It, back to the present. The Umbrellas and the remaining Sparrows, and there's just two of them now. And that's only if you consider it still on a Sparrow. They're still hunkered down at the Hotel Obsidian, because pretty much all the other buildings are burning charred skeletons at this point. So, um... There's no plans left to avert the apocalypse, as Five recalls what his hundred-year-old self said. Um, although I will say Diego deserves a little bit of credit here, because there's a moment where he sounds like Jesse Pinkman when he <laughs> when he suggests they use the hard-on particle accelerator. You know, you guys do some science, and then we'll launch it into space. <laughs> and it's during that conversation that's when Luther and Sloan announce their engagement and the bachelor party, the wedding, they're all going to be happening. You know, not not the best timing but you know that's this at this point i think the episode really hits a nice comedic and somewhat believably touching flow for at least a certain stretch of the episode um you know like the lila diego interactions and especially when klaus and reginald first show up in pretty much pretty much all their scenes for the rest of the episode mm-hmm. so uh, yeah go on this is one of my favorite episodes of the entire show yeah. In in three series, I mean in three in three seasons, is that it's what? okay? Okay, there's very little action. I, I would say season three in general. Like I was reflecting on this the other day, 
not a lot of action. There's not big fights. There's not big um, showdowns. There's not big dramatic, like, we all have to join our powers, like, in season one, season two. This season is a lot quieter and a lot... I mean, season two had a lot of the quiet individual character development in the different time frames in the 60s when they were trans- transformed back, uh, transported back. Um, but I think like this episode in particular, and what when it, when it really hit me was for a show that does a lot of music licensing and has been called out for these signature like dance numbers, that silent dance number sequence when there's no music and they're just dancing i i thought was like super powerful and like one of the best parts i think of the the season and the show in general uh i would tend to agree i really thought it was i I like a quieter episode that can really give the actors and characters time to shine because you're not, it's not being Mm -hmm. obfuscated by, you know, zapping and big action sequences and whatnot. Um, although those of us on uh, another podcast have made fun of a different show for having an episode like that once (laughs) game of Thrones, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a running gag. I don't know if you've ever had between me, Dan and Brian, Brian was a fan of it. Dan wasn't. I actually like the episode a lot, but I like, but I enjoy making fun of Brian more about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, that's the one where they sing a song by the fire. <laughs> um, this one, it's more about all the different interactions and what happens at that wedding reception. Um, and yeah, it did strike me um, to not have the song playing with during the day. Cause, and I remember going, it was a very, it was a very canny decision because it's like, you know, because it's not, they don't want it to be about whatever the song is. You know, it's not like right. the, um, the footloose right. thing that, that, that kicked off the season. This sure. is just about them actually having one of their rare moments of actually joy together. Cause we haven't mm-hmm. really seen very much of that over the course mm-hmm. of three seasons. So uh, maybe, and maybe this is one of the episodes that maybe uh, pushed you to like this one more than the previous season. I know mm-hmm. your issue with season two is a lot of it. They're all, they're separate for too long and stuff. I remember talking about that. Um, so here at the, um, at, at, at the whole reception it is after the, the wedding when I love the fact that the reminder like, Oh yeah, that's right. Cause Klaus was, you know, the whole cult leader thing, which means that someone who was ordained to perform weddings, of course. <laughs> um, but when, this is when, when Klaus is trying to make his pitch to, you know, from person to person to try to, to recruit them, you know, to go with dad and it doesn't seem to be, uh, working. And then, then Daddy Hargreaves gives that really rather oddly moving speech with that poem about death. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, and then between that, and then there's that moment when he meets Lila, and actually he says to Diego, he would have, it's too, you know, it's too bad without everything that's been going on, he would have been a superb father. And I was like, wow, they're working overtime to make me like Reggie here. Oh, mm-hmm. he's going to be, he's going to turn out to be the worst person ever. Mm-hmm. It, and I love that as bad as we thought he was going to be, and <laughs> we'll get there, he turns out to be worse than I think we might have imagined. I mean, wow. Um, however, there is that scene. I mean, there was a little bickering between Victor and Allison earlier, 
but the the one with them later on at the reception is is actually more unpleasant to watch and to experience than the one from that previous episode. But again, it's like the one of the it, it, it's almost like the 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 baby Ruth in in, in the <laughs> in the swimming pool there because everything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my movie. Right nice. Oh, by the way, mm-hmm. not written. Came up with that because um, my thing was. But after all that unpleasantness, everyone other than Allison eventually settles down. That's why I have my notes. Um, them all just. Oh, I don't need notes for this. We talked. I talked about how much we like the, all their interactions at the um, wedding reception. I really love them in the courtyard. You know, mm-hmm. after everything's over, you know, obviously some people yeah. have had more to drink than others because it felt genuine. It mm-hmm. felt like, and I think Luther even makes a comment about this is what he's always wanted that that sense of family. And I and I felt like that was that's one of the few, if only times we've seen it like come to fruition. Like, oh, at this point, they're actually a family. Yeah, it wasn't about the costumes. It wasn't about who was the sparrows, who was the umbrellas. That's the moment also where Ben seems to kind of break through. Yes, and become kind of quote unquote a nice guy or a relatable guy or so on. I'll, yeah. I'll just give him, he becomes less of a dick. <laughs> he's, right. Right. The fact that he's, and, up, and the are, fact that he's upset he's, that he didn't get invited to the bachelor party is kind of an interesting little thing right. to, to be noted. Like, why would right. you, and you realize, Oh wait, he realized like, there's no one else left on earth and he still got snubbed. <laughs> to get right. together. Right. That's pretty bad. Well, and it, and it shows that ultimately they are a family and segue into the next episode. Yep. This sort of proves the whole point about probably why Reginald constructed this family in such a way that he has. And it comes to uh, a head in the, in the 10th episode. Right. So, and, and we're closing it on. Don't worry, Kimber. Um, we're up, right, we're there. Yeah, we're, well, we're up to the penultimate episode, actually. Uh, <laughs> I know you're, you're so excited. We're, we're getting through this fast. No, no, we're not. Um, this one ends with uh, five drunk, who's drunker than anybody, apparently, seeing that Reggie apparently is making a deal with someone in the White Buffalo suite. Um, but he's so drunk, he falls back and doesn't get to see what mm-hmm. it is. So let's move on to the penultimate episode, which, coincidentally, is also a fairly short one. It's a very short mm-hmm. episode. I thought, was yeah. it Squid Game? No, it's seven. <laughs> <laughs> For those who didn't see it, Squid Game, the, the next last episode, is like ridiculously short. Whatever. And, and it's kind of a useless episode, quite frankly. No, this episode is called Seven Bells. And it and we kick off the episode with the sad story of Lunar Luther. And we go through the days and months and, I guess, years he was left up on the moon. Mm. I love this sequence. Now, beyond the fact he's losing his mind and he's listening to pop songs by The Cure, um, <laughs> I was initially... One and the in, same, maybe? Yeah, I would say, pretty much. Um, no, no, I like The Cure. I um, like The Cure, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. No one doesn't like them. I just, I just, I just could never love them. Anyway, I was intrigued by the fact that he hit some sort of semi-invisible electrical barrier, and then we see well beyond, you know, where where, where he is in his little lunar lunar buggy, whatever. I'm thinking, oh, wait, did I just put on for all mankind by accident? Is that James? No, no, no. It's some sort of capsule with a woman in it. Then you realize, then you take a look at it, like, oh, it's like a cryogenic chamber, 
And then you know, then you know, all of a sudden, wait a minute. I know who that is. I do believe that's Abigail Hargreaves in that little frozen pod. That's Reggie's wife. We saw her die in, oh, way back. I guess that was in season one. We got the flashback mm-hmm. scene or whatever. Yes. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. You don't drop that without a, you know, that's got to be a factor in what he's, what, what's going on here. And you start, I, I, then I was, when I'm watching, I'm like going, okay, that has to be somehow tie into what Reggie's plan is. Although I don't know why one would lead to the other. I don't really think that's explained. Oh, no, no. It is explained. It is explained. It, it's sort of, <laughs> it's, it's, eh, <laughs> but whatever. Anyway, everybody's waking up trying to recover from all the boozing. The most curious one is five because he's trying to remember who he saw making that deal with Reggie. My favorite thing is that he has his own vision of his what, what he imagined was his big drunk and horrific toast at the reception. <laughs> <laughs> and I love, I love the way it's depicted, the way everyone's reactions there, the the the, the slow golf, sarcastic golf clap kind of thing they're all doing, whatever. And the mono going, "This didn't happen," <laughs> because. Number one, if it happened, there would be a much different. There would have been a much different reaction to him at the in, in the courtyard at the end of the previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that the way Five's mind works. Of course, he would imagine he would have been a total bastard to everybody. <laughs> uh, but meanwhile, Allison is starting to make the rounds, apologizing to people, starting with Luther and Sloan, since. Um, you know, because the scene that she created was at their reception. But I noticed that she still hasn't apologized for what she did to Luther a couple of days earlier, which is what, what made me personally question in this moment. Luther, who we agree is not the sharpest knife in the drawer there, but he thinks there's some kind of manipulation going on, but he thinks it's about their dad. And guess what, Luther? Turned out you were actually kind of right. Holy shit. Because <laughs> at the time, I'm like, I... It's not about your dad. And then a little bit later, oh shit, it is about his dad. Uh, oh. Mm. I, oh, I wrote a note. I just, I just looked like, I wrote a note like, oh, this is when I should have figured the whole damn thing out. I'm so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> My notes mock myself. It's, it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, speaking of Reggie, he calls that family meeting. And this is where he explains how he built the hotel obsidian around this portal to the universe's reset button. And when he starts explaining the whole thing with the parallels to the rule of seven through different forms of mythology and folklore, which really doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but he explains how the reset requires seven people to pass through the glowing murder tunnel and ring seven bells protected by a guardian. Or we don't, we don't, I'm ne- it's not clear at this point if he's speaking metaphorically or not, whatever. But basically, <laughs> when those seven bells ring, the universe will re- be rebuilt. Right. And I'll, I won't make a joke that he should have just recruited, you know, the people from the boys because it's uh, anyway. Um, so <laughs> now I get there's some there who are saying it's not that crazy to believe this, considering all everything that they've dealt with before. Although it's Allison saying that, so it's that's kind of bullshit right off the top. The thing that I was questioning was how does how does Reggie know these details? And if it's true, and, and it's, 
And is this due to his alien background? You know, th- th- I think I was reading about him. I was like, oh, he's actually got some, supposedly he has some, like, precog skills that they almost never bring up on the show, whatever. I, I was just trying, I was like, I'm-, I'm going along with this, but then again, I know the dude's the biggest liar here, but how does he know this? He's, he's studied a lot. He's he had a lot of years to study. All right, he's working with he's an adventurer. Yeah. He's, he, 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 he should have been a character in like uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull at this point. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it's, <laughs> uh, again, final episode, I, yeah. I think there's some influences there. Yeah, so. no, no, don't, don't, don't. I, I caught it. Well, they tell Reggie they need to think about it before voting, and during that waiting period, we see Allison apologizing to Victor, and you almost want to believe her. Until you see those semi-dead eyes of hers when they're embracing. <laughs> and I'm like, villain, villain, villain. Lila Diego have a silly argument about it. Luther and Five have a more serious conversation about it. Because Five is always suspicious of their dad. He's sure that he's hiding something, that this is some sort of trap. We get to the vote. We get the, the ones who agree with him. Allison, Lila, Klaus, and Ben. But Diego, Victor, Luther, Sloan, and Five outvote them. They choose to stay. So therefore, because they don't have seven people, the plan is toast. Allison loses it outside a room. Luther comes across Reggie in the white buffalo suite and mm-hmm. decides to talk to him. And initially, you're thinking, oh, this might actually be the most forgivingly sweet father-son scene <laughs> these two have ever had on this series. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it's totally stopped when a sharp tentacle rips through Luther's guts. <laughs> and I remember going to say, oh, no. it's like, there's the, see, see, now now we're getting to the alien stuff. And then I wrote, <laughs> and I wrote tentacles, like, hey, wait, I made a squid game joke when I, when I started these notes. Excellent. <laughs> Sorry. And as Reggie says, the best way to bring a family together is either at a wedding or a funeral. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he slashes him again. And I'm on, that was when I went, oh, damn, he's murdering the poor monkey man here. <laughs> and, and like I said, I knew Reggie was up to something, but I didn't know he would go this far. <laughs> and then it gets worse. Because, you know, yes, meanwhile, Victor runs into five. She's not really buying Allison's apology either. You know, oh, my God, Victor's actually perceptive about someone else for a change. That's it's a, it's almost a miracle in of itself. And that's when five remembers it was Allison who was making the deal. And, of course, at that point, I was like, going, of course it was her. Why was I not thinking that from the get-go? So obvious. <laughs> anyway, screams and everyone running to the uh, the White Buffalo suite. Meanwhile, outside the world is crumbling and exploding. You know, it's starting to, you know come into the hotel itself, the walls are tumbling down. It's a really easy sell for them to believe that it must be the one of the, that that guardian who did this to Luther. Mm. You know, even though you know, having worked for Guardian for four and a half years, I don't believe they would oh, anyway. Um but <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have went with the Guardians of the Galaxy joke. I could have went with the Guardians of Oa from the Green Lantern joke. No, I went with my place of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just thought of it. Kimber hates me. He'll never, he'll never be on the podcast again. No, we're so, all good. We're getting there. Death Wave moves through the corridor, and they all make a break to go through the magic death portal, except Reggie does something here, which I believe made the audience hate him far more than murdering Luther. He pushes Klaus back. Mm-hmm. Thanking him for his help, but believing he's just more trouble than he's worth. He shuts the door, Klaus can't open it. And then, you know, but Klaus has that one ace up his sleeve. He impales himself on the horn of that white buffalo there, which means he dies 
in that fashion, which therefore means he will get a trip to the afterlife. Because I guess otherwise he would just would have been erased from existence, which wouldn't technically right. be death, which therefore he wouldn't. So, question here. Yeah. And I'm truly confused by this. So Reginald spends so much time in that episode that I love <laughs> training. So I can tell by your tone, you have an answer for this. So Reginald has spent all this time training him. And then he kills him surprisingly outside the portal before he slams the door on the murder tunnel. Correct. Why invest that time? Because <laughs> he does come back. So it's like he does that so he knows he's going to come back. But then he comes back. We're in the final episode then. And so, like, I'm not quite sure why that is. Okay, what Reggie says to Luther before he kills him, the best yeah. way to reunite a, to reunite a family is either at a wedding or a funeral. Or a funeral. The only right. w- so what he was using Klaus for before was Klaus was he was using Klaus to try to recruit everyone to his side right. throughout the wedding reception. Right. It didn't work. So therefore, when the vote oh, and everything yeah, happened, yeah. that didn't work because he figured if he can get in with Klaus. Right. And someone like that, she's sure. easily the most likable of all of them. You know mm-hmm. that would that didn't work. So now he went to he went the other direction. But now he also realize, realizes, okay, right. you might actually be a problem, and you we don't need and, and we don't need you for this. So he's that's though he, he, mm-hmm. he doesn't really care because he's a he's a son of a bitch. Okay, now we can finally get to the one you've been waiting for. The final episode of the of the season is Oblivion. I thought that reference was also to the first episode where he brings them all back initially because of his <clears throat> his suicide and for the funeral. Yep. Again, I'm not sure why he wants him to come back. And anyway, I don't I don't think he I I don't I don't personally I wouldn't personally say he knew that Klaus would actually find a way to kill himself before the wave, you know, disappeared him where he mm-hmm. would actually come back. So I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I don't necessarily, he's not surprised to see him necessarily, but I don't think right. he was banking on that because he's just going to get in the way of things anyway. Cause he, he, he wasn't going to provide any function to with the guardians and the bells anyway, or, and, and the thing they ultimately have to do. Although Klaus is he, one of them at the end. He has, he has a spot on. Yeah. So you're right. This episode, he has a role, right? Cause who would it have been then if it wasn't him? Wouldn't but, have been. Did someone Anybody. else? Oh no! It because it would have been. We thought it would have been Allison, and he t- and he says no, not you, and that's and that's the spot that ends up being Klaus's. Yeah, spot. and it I would have questions been about her in this last. I, I have a lot of questions. I like this season, but I have questions around the choices. I know if if, if it was if it had been as good as the second season, you wouldn't have as many questions. Well. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> 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 Couldn't resist. Anyway, this episode, Reggie and his team is seven, five, eleven, uh, five. Allison, I said eleven. <laughs> See, if he had eleven, they wouldn't have these problems, man. Five, Allison, Victor, Diego, Lila, Sloan, and Ben. They make it to the other side, which is the Hotel Oblivion. 
And, you know, and of course, as we're watching at the beginning, we're like wondering, did Allison know what Reggie was going to do? And I, at least they put that to bed at a certain point that she clearly did not know that he was going to go those lengths. And I was, and, and this is where I was kind of, I was kind of pleased about that because if she had known and she still went along with this, then I probably would have been on your, in your camp because that would have been too extreme a shift for her. I wouldn't have believed, like, she wouldn't have been sacrificing her brothers. She wouldn't. Have, she might have sacrificed Victor, maybe. But she wasn't so, going to be sacrificing Luther and Klaus, especially not Klaus. So, so I watched the last episode twice. What are we to understand that Victor... I'm sorry, not Victor. That the dad actually promised to her that she would sacrifice all of her siblings for was it just the promise that she would get back her family and her husband well again i don't think she thought that she was actually sacrificing her siblings that's that's the point i was making she didn't seem to she her reactions and what she says to him indicate she didn't know that he was going to do that so why is she making secret deals and secret conversations in the room with Reginald that five is eavesdropping on. Because, Why is that a hidden conversation then? Because her making her, her, her going through the trouble of making her rounds with the apologies is all supposed to be her way of also trying to help convince everyone to go along with the idea to begin with. Uh, since Klaus, since it didn't, since Klaus didn't failed at the wedding <laughs> reception, this would be another way for Reggie to try to convince people since People aren't going to forget the, the Reggie that they all knew, so they weren't going to go along with anything. He okay, um, it's tenuous. It's tenuous. I don't, you know, that's why. Again, it's not rock solid like season. Two. Sure, season like season, season two. two. <laughs> so good, so good. Watch, watch those last couple episodes. You're going to be like, oh my god, I can't believe I the Kennedy stuff and the, oh, the five and five and the farting. Oh, so good. Anyway, <laughs> I have one major problem with. I don't know, we'll talk about it at the end with season two. But go ahead. So, because um, I, I actually and I had this. It was, it, uh, the only thing that would have been kind of fun about if Al, I was almost like, okay, if Alice knew that one of them was going to get killed, that would kind of make her a full villain. And if she knew mm-hmm. two of them were going to be killed, okay, now Allison's just a, a straight-up psychopath. But since she didn't know about either, she's more like a villain by circumstance. You know, the accidental villain. The the unwitting accomplice villain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, I don't care. I still think of her as being pretty villainous this entire season. Even if she doesn't turn out to be this old, the big bad. There's not really a big bad other than Reggie himself, maybe. And I'm sticking with that because I'm Scott. Okay, so... Uh, the fact that Five tells Victor his suspicions that Reggie actually killed their brothers as well as the fact that Allison was the one who he knows made some sort of deal, that means that me and Five are actually on the same page. So, yeah, Five. Anyway, this- <laughs> <laughs> but then we get to... Now, getting to the stuff I think that I really loved about this season, the tr- when we take another trip to the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Luther and Klaus hanging out, eating pizza. Also, again... Two different shows I watched within days of each other having a scene dealing with pineapple pizza references. Very strange. Don't understand. Um, mm. That's as weird as the fact that two different shows had li- Dream a Little Dream showed up. On t- anyway. Uh, and they're you know, mm. wa- watching some weird Carl Sagan wannabe on the little TV there. And that's where Klaus has to break to Luther that he's dead. 
No, I, I like that they they just throw in the girl on the bicycle just in the background, but they she doesn't, really, she doesn't even have any dialogue or anything with them. He's like, oh, she's there. There's the. There's the uh, she has both flags on her bike. <laughs> The sparrows and the umbrellas, which is kind of a nice touch at the, uh, yeah, the, be- the beginning. The opening yeah. credit of every uh, yeah. episode this this season has both a sparrow and a uh, umbrella. Umbrella. It's, it's also, it's also those little graphic things I always loved about the show, like oh, they'll they'll deliberately make sure like the year is projected on a wall or part of something. You know, right. Like, oh, I was gonna be kicking out of that kind of shit. Um. So. The, the, this whole scene between Klaus and Luther, who are pre- who uh, I would say are probably the, the, well, that's not true actually. I was about to say they're, they're as different as two brothers could be, but actually maybe Klaus and Diego might be more different because they both Klaus and Luther have that ch- a certain childlike quality. Except Klaus just has more he's he's a child from the other side of the tracks kind of. Quality. <laughs> <laughs> he's seen some shit. <laughs> um, so it's that whole sequence where um, Luther is trying to convince him to, for them to go back, and he doesn't want to be bothered. And it's a thing where they're 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 zapping through like walls and backdrops yeah. of scenes, and I was like, "Oh, this is such an interesting concept the way they're doing it." And they end up in that bouncy house, right? Mm-hmm. And there's kids there, mm-hmm. right? Now, am I wrong to think? Does that mean because because they're in the afterlife? Now, are we going to just say those kids are just weird constructs of Klaus's mind or something like that, or are they dead kids? Because <laughs> it's the afterlife. Yeah, I had a feeling those those jumps were more like I don't know, like memories or stories in his head, okay, rather than actual. Physical places. Okay, it's like my my feeling on it. Yeah, I hey, I totally, I will totally go along with that. But I was just tickled by the idea. I love yeah, the idea. It's like funny. Oh, a bunch of dead kids. Nice, because <laughs> you know I'm really, right. I'm in favor. Well, there's all kids. kinds of weirdness in this final episode with what's dead and what's alive. When you've got a rock with no atmosphere and no gravity still floating through the universe. With a deteriorating uh, hotel on it, like you've pretty much like pitched anything real having to do it's with it's magic. Yes, well, it's fun. Magic. It's fun. Magic, magic. It's magic. fun. You 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 were just waiting for Doctor Strange to show up. That's all. You know you were. All right. Yes. Because it looked like hundred percent. Um, I also kind of liked. Oh no! Excuse me. I did not like this. The opposite. I was like, I got to take more of a Kimber POV on this one. I was annoyed by something here. <laughs> I was annoyed by the fact that Klaus ignores that Luther is telling him that their, you know, quote unquote father is actually an alien. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's one thing when, you know, it's it, to me, it's way worse than like when Diego ignores anything that's coming out of Klaus's pie hole all the time because, you know, Klaus has been, you know, pretty much, you know, on drugs and trippy the whole time. How, how do you believe anything he ever says? Mm-hmm. Luther's not that way. He's telling you, Dad's an alien, <laughs> and he just pays it no mind. Okay, but that's kind of important. Oh, god damn you, Klaus! But anyway, <laughs> all right. So in the hotel, they're separated into teams. The seven head to different parts of the hotel because they're all looking for that sigil. 
Mm-hmm. So when we have moments like, you know, five confronting Allison about her hand and everything that has happened, which causes that one to storm off, and then Victor goes after her. And then five is the first to experience how the hotel is changing around them. So he ends up with Ben and Sloan. I, I like how there's this subtle way of just, okay, we, we, we made the teams one way, but we're going to just make some slight adjustments to who's with who. Um and I think we also see that Reggie doesn't care how many he has to sacrifice <laughs> to get whatever this this prize is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, cuz we know that this is a very 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 long gestating plan. It's finally coming together. You know, the people, the pieces whatever. This is of course when Klaus shows up by the way. <laughs> and I remember when I'm watching the episode when he actually uses the phrase I, that he's so close to his prize. And I'm mm-hmm. like Pride. It was, it was such a weird way to phrase it. I kept going, "What the fuck is he talking about?" And all I could think of, all I know is dead wife's up on the moon or something. So it's got to. I, I, you didn't show that to us, not for it to be connected to it. Then maybe they would have. But I was trying to figure it out, and then my brain went to reset. If he can reset everything, he can reset things. Mm-hmm. So she's like, al- and then I'm like, "Oh, of course, that's what it is. All right, mm-hmm. okay, that kind of actually makes sense." Now, um, he knocks out Klaus. He rings the bell. The place trust is shake right all. Then you get all the guardian fights. They're all I like. I, I like the idea that they just made them all these giant, indestructible samurais. Because you know that's safe. No one's going to get offended by that. I don't understand that either. Like I, I tried to remember why in the first or second season they would be samurai. Like I just wish there was like a reason for it. Like I just. I almost, I would have, what I would have thought there was some reason, but like I couldn't find one. They're probably, you know what? I, I never thought to Google it to look, do any research. Maybe there is one. I would have liked it to have been that each one was entirely different. Mm-hmm. That one was a samurai. That's fine. But then the next one is, you know, some version like of, of like a Yeti or something. And the next one is like, right. you know, an indestructible cowboy, like the thing guy from Preacher right. or something. Yeah. Ah, great character. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. So you get all these uh, these different team mix-ups because Diego locks Lila in a closet, and she's found by Victor, and they all band together because she can actually mimic Victor's ability. Okay. Cutting to the, through all this, they all kind of conquer their their separate guardians on yes. these different floors, um, and I think it's around that point when they when they make it back to the lobby. That's when Klaus awakens, and he reveals Reggie's treachery to everybody. Mm-hmm. So now they all know that Reggie was responsible for killing Luther and actually had tried to kill Klaus as well. Um, and again, it's like the whole thing with them realizing that Klaus can actually come back from the dead. It's kind of a big deal, but you know, again, no one seems to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. And then the big, then the biggest, the baddest guardian of all shows up, knocks Klaus aside, which, and he actually, among other things, cuts off Five's arm, which makes him match that missing limb version we saw the the hundred year old version of Five in the future. The surprise here is who shows. I did not. I'll give him credit. I did not expect Luther to show up. When Luther shows up even for a moment. I didn't. Re- it didn't occur to me that Klaus could do that. Mm-hmm. That he could basically at least bring him back, you know, quote unquote, f- you know, from the afterlife at least for a short period of time. So you know, it comes back basically to to, to throw the, the samurai across, you know, across the hall. And I love how everyone's acting like, oh, he's defeated. Like he just threw him. <laughs> he didn't defeat him. 
But it did Again, th- I, I I have to Google it, but I have a feeling that he manifested a physical person from a ghost in a previous season. But I'd have ben, to I would think Ben I have to check that. Ben. When, oh right, yeah. When Ben comes back in season two, right. that's that's basically the first time we see that he's able to do that. Sure. It's like, oh, he does have he does have this ability. Right. I just forgot about it because they hadn't really referenced it at all. So just yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I gave them credit for it. like I was surprised by it. I was like, oh shit, we can oh. see Luther. Yeah. And he gives, you know, which also gives you know a little moment for him and Sloan to actually have a, a genuine goodbye here. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's when I think Five realizes, because he's still up above everybody, he's already done the little tie tourniquet thing with his arm, uh, which I guess keeps him from bleeding out. He realizes that the sigil is actually on the very floor of the lobby. And that's where they all take a spot, and that's where we see Reggie warning Allison it can't be her, it must be Five in this part. Mm-hmm. So Five takes the spot. Now, I wonder if it can't be Allison... Because of how, what the results of, you know, the, well, it's almost like making a wish, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's why she can't be one of them. Actually, I guess it has to be because if he really moved forward with his plan, isn't he basically sacrificing all? Because the, they're, they're, they would have died, I think, if, if, if the thing had gone the whole way through. It seemed like they were being, having all their life forces sucked out of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they would have existed yeah. in the new, I don't, yeah, they were like batteries being drained. Right. Yeah. But it's during that scene when she when when Allison starts to realize what's going on because you know they fuse together, they do defeat the the other guardian because you know who cares about that. But we're working up to the point where Reggie's eventually going to hit hit the reset button, and Allison's trying to stop him because he's basically killing them. You know, because oh look, Allison's not even up. She's like Darth Vader and Return of the Jedi now. <laughs> um, and she and we see she tries to stop him with the vocal command, mm-hmm. and it has no effect on him. And that's when she picks up that that sickle sword thing, whatever, and slashes through his head. And we reveal he's been a robot this whole time. Did not think that was at least this Reggie. It's, it's a robot, right? Because you see the, the the mechanics of his uh, head and everything. So everything goes black or white. I don't remember. And that's where we see Allison showing up in Los Angeles in the middle of her of the night. Claire is there in her bed. And somehow Ray is her husband as well. So she's gotten like the best of both universes or worlds that she's experienced. And we realized there was some sort of Faustian bargain made with Reggie. A literal wish come true somehow. We can, we'll be questioning that in a second. The others also show up in New York on the site where the hotel of the city used to be. But it's gone now. Luther is with them. Mm-hmm. And he's no longer a hulking ape man either. Mm-hmm. Five has his arm back. Diego has his fingers back. All's well. At, oh, wait, they don't have their powers. And if anyone cares, you know, Sloane's gone. No, no Sloane. So everybody goes their separate ways. We pan up over the city and we see that there's more than more than a couple skyscrapers that seem to be part of this, I don't know, this Hargraves Industries or something <laughs> like that. Kind of like Stark. Hargraves and real estate on the right. Everywhere. Yeah. And we close in on like the main skyscraper and we see Reggie's looking out the window over the city that he's clearly the titan of there. And next to him, apparently alive and well, is his wife, Abigail. Mm-hmm. And that's Kind of pretty much the end, unless you include this 
silly little mid credit scene they included of Ben yeah. showing up on the same, what looks like the same Korean subway train that he was born on back in 1989. I questioned that the train would look the same 30 years later, but I'll go on with it. Which is the openings, the opening scene of the season was the parents. At least the, we think it's his parents from, uh, yes. oh, I'm sorry, the, the mom at least. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. She's giving birth on the train. Yeah. Okay. So that's the, that's the episode. So your your issues and questions now, sir. Yeah. I. So timeline stuff, which is always like you know the the fun, most challenging, most debatable parts of the show. So did you feel at the end with the reset? Do you feel that we are now in a third? version of the timeline that we've had the first version of the timeline which is the umbrella academy the second version where we've had the sparrow academy that the umbrella academy jumped into and now we have a third version because it all seems kind of different because they don't have powers but it's also kind of jumped some things too like we know that five encounters his aged self with a missing arm but now he has the full arm anyway i it's the kind of stuff that like geeks could talk about forever it's a third it's a third timeline it's a third timeline so we think that so i like so that's where i thought too i think in the last in the fourth season we're going to start in this third timeline yes yeah, you, you kind of have to. I, I, it would be weird for them not to, but yeah, you'd have to do that. You would have to. Yeah, I, I mean, you can basically. It's one once you once you do something that diverges, and we've seen this on a number of things over the years. They did a whole thing about it, in Loki, whatever, with the timelines, right. and branches, whatever. But that's not new to the Mar. That's a, that's a Marvel thing. It's not just a Marvel thing. That's a, that's a thing. Period. That's just a thing. Yeah, that's how they've explained. I mean, God, if. if and someone who's read something like The Flash for all your life, you know, you know all about this kind of shit. Um, yes, or even Star Trek, actually. They made it all a big thing with that um, recently. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, this by the, the reset essentially creates a new timeline. Unless, yeah. unless they're doing something where the resetting of a universe. Um, supersedes or transcends any existing timeline before, mm-hmm. which I could see that being a way of trying to say, Oh no, 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 no. Forget what you saw before. This is it. And there is no other that, you know, it's, 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 it, there aren't, there are no other branches. They, I don't, I don't know if they would go that route. They could that, but that thought right. had occurred to me as well, because this wasn't re because again, it's, it's being very specific. They talked about resetting a universe, not resetting a timeline. So I, I did. I did have that thought, and it's one of those things. I guess we'll wait and see in that next season if there is. And there better be a next season. The more I think about it, and someone, presumably Reggie, will will have to explain it at some point. So yes, yeah, there's there's expedition awaiting us at some point in the future. Yeah, because not even like again. Like Allison's, like happily ever after in this, like doesn't make sense just from a pure timeline reset because her husband from the early sixties yep. 
hasn't aged a bit, even though this has to be, she was born in October of 89 and she's whatever, 20 some years old, 30 years old with a child. So that guy would be like, 90 or 100 years that's, old that's why like that. that's that's why i'm saying yeah. it, it reset the universe not reset the timeline right so right. He, so they, it just it's basically uh, not to be goofy sounding about it but who cares because right those it's like someone made a wish and right that, and, and, and and that's kind of what she did essentially right because i think i think they that's essentially what happened like she wished to have them both and that's and I think that's why she wasn't going to be st- be one of the seven standing there, whatever. So mm-hmm. that was you know whatever. Whether what she did really warranted the deal that Reggie made with her at the time, I don't know. Probably not. But whatever. yeah. But um, yeah. So I ultimately, I mean, just to but summarize. I don't call it, but, but I was just going to say, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't. I don't mean. Go to, ahead. But Go the, ahead. what I was saying before, just to hook into that, is like that's why I'm not. I'm like, is. A happy ending with a question mark because it's not really a happy ending in my mind. She and her, she will feel it's a happy for ending for her right there. But we know, like, yeah, but this isn't the way it should be. There's a there's a problem here, you know. And guess what? And I'll tell you right now. I have a, I suspect when we get at some point in the fourth season, I think we're going to have a Sophie's Choice situation on Allison's hand. Sure, I think she's right. going to have to make a choice. Right. And I think I know what, and I'm pretty sure I know which way she's going to have to, which way she's going to choose. Right. I would love if the show shocked me and she went in the other direction, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I assume she'll pick the kid. But because um, you know, right. it's, it's a kid, you know, everyone picks. I mean, you all, people, you all, all you people love kids, so you all pick the kid. I would. Yeah, in, in a very narrow way, it is the fantasy happy ever after for her character, but it might not be for the entire world, right? Given like what we see with the Hargreaves. Mm-hmm. on every building in that final like sort of wide shot and whatever this means that his wife is back in this you know now there is a king and queen like Hargraves um, <clears throat> I mean ultimately I liked this season because it really dug into the family dynamics um, and didn't have a big boss battle. Like, my main problem with the second season was that ridiculous commission battle at the end with everybody charging across a field, which is an <laughs> ongoing thing for me. I hate it in the Star Wars prequels. I hate it in the MCU that in these sci-fi universes, everybody fights these big battles like it's the 18th century. People line up on one side of a field and another side of a field, and they like rush at each other, and they crash into each other. And I don't find that believable at all. And I hate that. <laughs> I just hate it in all of my IP. Um, this one I liked. It was intimate. It was more about characters. It was more about relationships. It was more about family. Um, even though I was annoyed by the Allison thing, I was willing to kind of let it go a little bit because I like what they did with Victor this season. I really liked what they did with Klaus this season. Uh, I really liked what they did with Reginald this season. Um, and the development, again, of um, 
uh, Diego, who is not a character that I like very much, but I liked him a lot more this season after the development of his character in Lila. So I, and maybe it was the pairing them off. I liked uh, all of them in a very different way this season than just like big, like superhero, like battles, like in the first two seasons. Hmm. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I feel the same way, I guess. Um, I think there are characters I think were, I enjoyed more this season, than the previous one and vice versa. Mm-hmm. I think I, I thought they did a nice job with the Victor situation and the character and Klaus and Reggie, like you said, those were my favorite stuff, especially with those two more than anyone else. Um, I, I, I mean, I like the Diego stuff fine, but I already, I, for me personally, I already got, I, I liked how they improved Diego in the previous season already. So they, for me, they already had done that with his character for me. Mm-hmm. The Allison stuff was, unbelievably good in season two which maybe makes the stuff here on one hand oh it's it's more repellent to people i would say i would count it up by saying no it also makes it more tragic i would think as well but i get it but i um i do like a lot of the scenes and the, the quieter moments and the conversational the, the family moments that we have in this season uh more than we see in the first two seasons i'll totally say that but i enjoy mm-hmm. the overall storyline and what was it and the stakes and everything and the way it was presented in season two more than what was going on in season three for me it was like oh there's this big weird ball of energy it's in the basement for how many episodes in a row yeah. eventually and these waves keep happening then people are like oh okay and it's it always like it's an, fair you know the, the fact that when it gets all the way to the end where I realize the entire planet's been murdered and it pretty much seems kind of, for the most part, like an afterthought for, for like seven or eight episodes. Um, it, it, it's kind of funny with just the umbrella coming kind of like, Oh yeah, I keep forgetting how self-centered everybody is. <laughs> Cause they're not, you know, Victor's all about that one person who's like, you oh, know, the needs of the, the needs of the, the kid that I screwed up, you know, back in the sixties is more important than, I don't know, billions on the planet. Apparently yeah. um, I like, no, I'm just, I really like the season. I like all three seasons. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I think for me, I still lean a little bit more towards the second season. Um, maybe it's because mm-hmm. that's more, that, that was the mu- more pure time travel one for me. And you mm-hmm. know, that's my, that's my sweet spot. Sure. And you know, and period you th- time travel. And you throw it, and you throw, yeah, period time travel. You throw in the Kennedy thing, which I kind of, yeah, I, I love. I'm a sucker. I love the, I love the concept of, oh no, we have to prevent one of our own from preventing the assassination. <laughs> right. I right. thought that was really, and the fact that five turned out to be the old, <laughs> the guy on the grassy knoll and all that. Right. I, I, so I love all the Kennedy stuff, the commission with. So that's probably why I like that one better, but we're not sure. talking about like worlds better. We're, you know, we're talking about degrees. And again, I really like this season. Um, it, it's, it, it's one of those things where, you know, I, the regret that you had about not seeing, you know, Pogo used very much. I shared that. I kind of wished we'd gotten, I felt that they could have went about, something that could have utilized that character a lot more for the season. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and when, when we did get that one significant episode with him, it made me go, yeah, I would have liked like three or four more episodes with this. Character. Yeah. I really like that character. And, and where is he now? Like, like, do we see him in season four? Is he's like, 
Hayden. Is that just like a one and done? Is he gone? Like obviously he played a part because he did the tattoo and and so on. Right, but, but that but that's but that's it's a new universe. That doesn't matter. Sure. None of that matters anymore. Sure. So I think, would Reggie I, have had a reason to to have any interaction with that that, yeah. that monkey way back when? I don't know if he would have. So. I think it comes down to a villain problem. Like wh- yeah. when you were just talking about like the big ball of fire, which is ridiculous. Like it's the 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 Cobalt Blitz, which is actually like a real thing in physics. I did a little research on it. It's like a theoretical thing. It's real, or at least it's theoretical. The concept, it's, yeah. it's a concept in science. Mm-hmm. But like, like so many movies that kind of like don't make it all the way there for me. It's a villain problem. Yep. Like, what's that final boss fight? What's the final motivation? And if I take that out of this show, in this season, I love the character development. My favorite episodes are the standout ones with the development among the characters and Reginald and the wedding and the silence of the dance. And it has nothing to do with fighting a galactic ball of fire. And I think that's what I love continuously about this show. And what I have loved since the very first episode, again, trying to summarize here three episodes, three seasons in, is I have loved from the get-go, who are these people, who are these would-be siblings, and what are their relationships like? Who they wind up fighting, what the mission is, and so on, is secondary, but I wish it was better in some way. And maybe that is just the ultimate thing that every IP is chasing, whether you're a Marvel movie or any kind of sci-fi or superhero movie is finding a really good, bad thing to chase. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's about them chasing each other and those relationships amongst themselves. And the rest of it is just like a manufactured thing on top of it. But, Right. Well, the show basically the show succeeds in character, but it, it doesn't necessarily succeed with plot because what's driving the plot has to be whatever they're in opposition to, and, and that would be where you have the villain issue. Right. Um, so when you have something like if in Marvel and the whole thing, if the whole thing culminated in just like this big ball of energy that was going to eat through the entire universe and whatever, it you know you would have had some of those situations happen, but it wouldn't have been quite as interesting as having Thanos. Thanos. Right, Thanos was a great villain, sure. and also, and even better than some because he was actually an. an you could also also understand him to a certain point, even if you didn't agree with him. Um, sure, and that might be why. With see, and again, this is not me downgrading this season at all. Mm-hmm. But the unfortunate thing is, you had it, and then you kind of didn't have it, and we can kind of sort of say, well, Reggie sort of is, but. Reggie's kind of really the same Reggie he's been in one form or another ever since we've met him. So it's kind of weird to call him, you know, he's the villain because he kills Luther, I guess. But then Luther's not, then 15 minutes later, he's not dead. So what? But they kind of redeem him because I really love him in those episodes with him and Klaus. Well, they redeem, and, but that's, and, but that's and, before and he does end, the bad stuff. Yeah. You know, and, I, I and get it. But, but again, that, but there, we're going back the to the villain problem. Of like him and then whoever this like wife person is that that he's he's got I don't know, like I, I feel like Reginald isn't even 
I think I've liked Reginald the most in this season than I did in any other season, well, too. Well, I think that goes without saying. I, I almost think yeah. that goes without saying. Cause he, you saw his he, background. He, you saw but, his explorer thing. You but, saw, yeah. But the issue, but the issue is, and you point, you said it yourself, uh, meaning to or not, is the problem with the season. It's a villain problem because Google yep. is not a villain. You right. Know, it's just a force of nature. The sparrows would have been the villains. But you ended up killing them, killing them all off. Or you you reduced their ranks pretty damn quickly, so they were kill never, them they, off, they were never or really you co-opt them into the rest of the team, and but and that, but but we had, but but we had, but there was more villainy, and yep. villains in the first two seasons. Sure, whether it be the, the 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 two others with the suitcases, or the one who's corrupting. Uh, who was then Vanya in season one or season two? It's the handler herself, really, mm-hmm. more so than anything else. Uh, and she's like actually a really good villain, quite frankly. Uh, is that Kate Walsh? Um, and this yeah, season, see, I didn't like her. This see, season, it's, it's a difference. Uh-huh. I like the actress, and I, 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 don't, I don't like that. I think that character is really like one dimensional. But okay, huh. yeah. But okay. disagreement. It's fine. It's all right. Yeah. Well, we can agree that I'm trying to end the podcast, so we can agree on that. Yeah, so. go ahead. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm looking at the time. I'm going, oh, what can you that we're going to do this quickly. Um, no, we did. We did. We fine. So, we can, and we can still talk as I'm wrapping it up. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, a successful season. I really enjoyed it. It's very... I. It's really even hard for me to rank the three seasons, but I do remember I did say I liked the season two better than season one. I still think I like season two a little bit better than this one, but we're talking, it's, it's close, mm-hmm. but I think, I, because, and the reason why, but I'll say, and I've already said it, so I'm repeating myself, the Klaus and Reggie stuff, especially the Klaus stuff, for me is what makes it close. Cause that really raised the bar mm-hmm. because it, that I feel that's even at the core of what everything that happens in that, um, quiet wedding ep- episode because you know you don't really have a lot of that without without that you know going on there, so that's what really kind of makes it like you know a, a closer battle for me. But season two is still my, my favorite one. So there we go. And yours is yeah. the current one. So there you go. Yeah. It's interesting that no one, neither of us picked the the first one, and a lot of so usually quite often people like the first season of a show best because that's the one that's really laying out the groundwork for all the characters, whatever. But we like the fact that they've were already established and then. We see what more you can give us in the in the in the seasons two and three, which the show has done. What I like about the show is, I wasn't tracking that there was a. Th- I knew there was a third season coming, but I wasn't counting down the days. Mm-hmm. And it arrived, and I was glad that it would, it arrived, and because it reminded me how much I like the unique nature of the show, and I think it's. It stands apart as a unique, because it's a unique IP and it's superheroes separate from the big giants of DC and Marvel. And so you can play with it. I mean, like you can do with the boys, like you can do with uh, Watchmen and some of these other kinds of things. So it makes it very interesting for those of us who are superhero geeks. And I'm just glad that it exists. I Maybe I shouldn't stack rank things because I should just be grateful that I have it. Um, but I did, uh, and I totally agree with you. I like time travel with period costumes in the second episode and JFK I'm a sucker for, but 
marginally i liked i think season three a little bit more but again i it's it's a coin flip honestly yeah it's close it's it, it's it reminds me of when i when people try to make me choose between breaking bad seasons three and four i'm like i can you know ask me you know i'll pick one three days a week and the other one four days right a week or something right like that. right Alrighty then. Okay. So, y'all out there, if you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you did. You'll probably enjoy hanging out on our Facebook page as well. It's the Series TV Drama Podcast page. Like the page, you can join the conversation about shows like The Umbrella Academy, Boys... Boys. The Boys. The Boys. The, <laughs> the Boys! The, the Boys. Uh, and, of course, the upcoming Better Call Saul, among others. Where can you find our podcast? You already listened to it. Why am I telling you that? But if you have to find it again, you can find it in places like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon Music. Better still, just go to stvdpodcast.podbean.com and you can find all 350... What number is this now? Three, 353 of our podcasts can be found there. Someone's been listening to a few of them here and there from way back when. I find that fascinating. Um, what else? Instagram... Serious TV drama, one word. Follow us there. Twitter at STVD Podcast. That's STVD as in Serious TV drama. And you know what? If you want, because I actually opened it today and someone actually sent something, but I'm going to mention it on the next <laughs> podcast. Feel free to send an email to stvdpodcast at gmail.com. It's an email that's been out there for seven or eight years and I've never mentioned it until recently. <laughs> Can I send you a telegram by some way? (laughs) (laughs) All righty then. So um, upcoming, as most of you should already know, our next podcast will be covering the premiere episode of Better Call Saul, which will be airing on Monday, and we will be recording Tuesday, and which means the podcast should be out Wednesday morning. Uh, The first episode will be titled Point and Shoot. I actually know that already. And I know some other things about it, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut about that. And hopefully a few days later, Brian and I will be getting back together to cover those final two episodes of Stranger Things. I'm going to say right now, I think that's going to be a very good podcast. I've I've done some nice prep work for it. Brian always brings the, his A-game as well. Um, I think we will be blowing other Stranger Things podcasts out of the water, which is really me taking a shot at Jamie for cheating on us and doing that other podcast last week. Anyway, (laughs) so, Kimber, thank you so much for uh, joining again and being able to sit through all this and talk about the Umbrella Academy Season 3, I guess for the past couple weeks, which doesn't mean this podcast lasted that long, but you know what I mean. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Scott. All right. So, my final words will be, remember in the end, there's no need to be annoyed. For as Klaus tells us, there's no pain in the void. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Mm